0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. Thank you for joining us on Resource Centre. This is Audrey Raj. It is technically the first Working Tuesday of the month. So, Hetul Doshi is on the show with me today for another episode of Psychology at Work. Pa Chai Hetel.
1: Long Sifar Chai Audrey, thank you so much for having me today.
0: Now we're going to be tackling some pain points on the show today, you know, when it comes to mental health in the workplace and you're going to be basically giving us a rundown of the nine reasons why mental health strategies in the workplace don't work. But before we jump into that, right Hazel, maybe you can give us uh, a lay of the land into um why we're talking about some of these strategies adopted at organizations in the country today and why we're talking about the strategies that don't work, especially in the workplace.
1: Yeah, I think it is, um, you know, officially the third year where organizations, so this is year three of implementation, yeah. So uh, the pandemic, actually, I'm not saying that organizations haven't been, you know, having mental health strategies in the workplace prior to the pandemic, but there's been a big wave that started two years ago and this is Mm. the third year. Um, So what is happening in year three uh, and the calls that we're receiving is all about uh, what has been implemented. And the big question is, why is it still not working? Meaning, why are employees still um, sharing uh, information or raising voice in the organization that they don't feel well and that you know, things may not be progressing based on these strategies that uh, organizations have already implemented. And so there's this sense of frustration about investments, about uh, direction, about approach. And is, is it the right thing that we have done? Why is it that it doesn't seem to be hitting the nail? Um, and what can we do from here? Uh, and and this has been, well, like you say, it's the first uh, first day of January now. And in the first month, we've been getting lots of calls to ask, uh, to have an insight into why strategies don't seem to be working.
0: Okay, so what is the first of the nine reasons why these mental health strategies are not cutting it in the workplace?
1: Yeah, so um, the first reason is because it's opinion-based. A lot of uh, the opinions that have come into the uh, equation have been from, you know, maybe what you call the highest income paid person's opinion. So what CEOs or committees, wellness committees think is the right thing to be doing. But -hmm. what is shocking for me is that it shouldn't be opinion based. Obviously, it should be evidence based and data driven based, right? So what is the um, psychological aspects of it? As you would know, most organizations don't have a psychologist. So without that level of expertise, jumping into opinions may not be helpful, so let me just give you a very simple example. When I ask uh, employees, i mean, sorry, for example, clients, okay, what are you actually measuring or what is it that you want? They say, oh, you know, we want uh, mental health uh, in the workplace. And, but, but the way they speak about mental health sounds like mental illness. Mm. We don't want mental illness rather than mental health. The second thing is that when I ask them, can you define mental health? The definition is not there. So I think first and foremost, we don't even have organizations haven't even pinned down what are definitions of mental health, definitions of well-being, and a very important part of what is uh, should be pinned down is something called psychosocial risk as well. Meaning, mm. what are the things in the organization that are putting people at risk? So, from an evidence-based perspective, I can already see that terminologies are not clear, definitions are not clear, uh, the right types of things to be looking at are not clear at all. Um, and yeah, so the biggest challenge around the first part of it is that the uh, the initial strategy or the initial idea of how to launch this were probably created by non-experts in the workplace, which is not entirely wrong. But I mean, this is, you know, people's minds, you know, mm-hmm. so I think it is very important to make sure that you have uh, an expert on board when you are crafting up uh, strategies. Okay.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So what's our um,
1: next reason? What's reason number two? So the reason number two is why they were actually doing it. So when I ask clients, why were you actually, why did you initiate this two years ago? And I think it was a big wave, right? So pandemic was a fear-based approach towards what they needed to do. And of course, with strategies, you never want to have a you know, a fear-based approach. You want to have it as a goal-oriented approach. Mm. So Because of that fear, a lot of uh, initiatives, like for example, oh, you know, we want to make sure that suicide is—you know, we don't have any experiences of suicide in the workplace, so we don't have mental illness. So these are all fear-based uh, experiences. And if you look at mental illness in the workplace or, you know, extremities like suicide, that would make up 5% of an entire experience of 100% in the organisation. Would you want major strategies that look after 5% or do you want major strategies that look after the 95%, obviously plus the 5% as well? Uh, the other second reason was that there was a bandwagon fad. A lot of them jumped into it. A lot of them said, okay, let's do EAP, let's do this. So there's a whole you know bandwagon fad of people jumping into it at the same time. Um, so if you mix fear together with uh, herd mentality, you probably get a lot of confusion. So what what this means is that you know going forward it's okay. I think it's it's very common that organizations experience this fear-based approach and also bandwagon approach. But what what we would shift uh, uh, towards going forward is a clear purpose with world-class standards Yeah, What Mm. do I really mean by that is actually uh, there are world-class standards for employee experience or mental health in the workplace, and this is called ISO 45003. So you don't want to benchmark your organisation against anything except world-class standards. So what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Match it towards world-class standards. So ISO 45003 looks after psychosocial risk in the workplace, which means... Employees should have very minimal risk in the workplace, and that is the job of an organization. It's not about necessarily creating mental wellness, but reducing the risk that you impose on the organization. We've got 20 factors, we won't go into that. But there's ISO 45003, and there's also World Health Organization that actually has a goal called Wellbeing for All is Everybody's Right. And so, you know, when you take these two world-class standards, there's actually measures in place that you could subscribe to And as you go year after year, you can see whether you're progressing towards that. Unfortunately, because without clear purpose and world-class standards, uh, all initiatives have been all over the place. Um, And so there's this lack of clarity about what actually are we driving towards. So that's the second reason why lack of purpose and direction towards world-class standards. That would be the second one.
0: Okay, and the biggest challenge for the, the second one, you know, this bandwagon and this and being led by fear, what's the biggest challenge? Would it be expertise again? Yeah, I think
1: it's that lack of expertise. So you definitely would want to have an expert that specifically looks after this strategy. Um, and typically it would be an organisational psychologist, maybe even an occupational health psychologist, um, mm-hmm. or maybe an OHS um, uh, occupational health and safety expert. Uh, to look into something like this, but also very important to actually facilitate and bring everybody together on the same page so that opinions aren't flying around. So it's not just an expert, but somebody who can really bring the core people around and make them very clear about doing it. Because one of the things that I've also heard is that some companies are doing this to get awards, and you know, mm. and that's great, but it's not, you know, the most I mean, I think you'd get an award anyway if you're doing great things. So I don't think yeah. that should be the primary reason for it. Yeah.
0: Okay, let's move on then, Hato. What's next?
1: What, what's uh, reason number three? So reason number three is what, me- what gets measured gets done, right? Or what doesn't get measured doesn't get done. Yep. So one of the things that people are measuring, yeah, um, uh, Audrey, one of the, the things that when I ask clients, like, how have you been auditing? Like, okay, when you, when you talk about the state of mental health in the workplace, what have you been looking at? How have you been, been measuring it? And they say, Hato, we don't know how to measure it. We've been looking at maybe absenteeism. Mm. Uh, so absenteeism doesn't mean that you're mentally not well absenteeism could could be it could be that you just want to take a day off or that you're not feeling engaged it could be a plethora of reasons but it's not absenteeism may or may not have anything to do with it. so it's not direct correlation then another measure would be you know suicides or attempted suicides another measure could be prolonged mental illness so some employees take uh specifically have mc's where the doctors or the psychiatrists have put in reasons saying that, you know, they are experiencing mental illness and they will need time out for an extensive period of time. So they look at that, which is all right, but that is a measure of mental illness, not a measure of mental health. You've also got medical board outs where people leave the organisation because of psychological uh, experiences in the workplace. And then you've got EAP, which is the Employee Assistance Program where people can make calls. But EAP is not the right measure either because people... You want to encourage people to make calls and speak to psychologists, but that doesn't mean that they're having mental health related issues. We don't know. You could just be calling because you're calling and actually you want more people to be calling because it's a good thing, right? So there are many of these tools that are being used, but these may not necessarily be the right tool. And also when organizations look at all the data, they're like, how do we make sense of this? What does it mean, right? So, you know, um, the important thing over here is what, get me- what gets measured, gets done. And so, a very distinctive measure is important. So, what we promote um, from our area of expertise is something called psychosocial risk. So, what are the risks? And there is a direct correlation between the risk that you put an organis- uh, employee in and the well being that they will experience. So, let me give you an example. I think most of us are going through high workload right now, right? Most of us feel you know, from our data, the second thing would be that our work life is impacted, and the third thing is uh, organizational voice it means I don't have the voice to fight this, and I there is no respect and justice for me. In, in this is the order of experiences that we are having, and we call this psychosocial risk. So we measure what is the risk that the organization is putting people through, and you get a very clear correlated data, and organizations can immediately say, okay, we need to address this risk, not we need to create yoga classes or you know like another well-being webinar Uh, if it is high workload we have to address high workload (laughs) so it's a very clear distinctive measure and another thing is well-being so we measure well-being and we say okay mental well-being emotional social well-being these are three areas of well-being and we equip everybody to intervene for themselves so it's a very very direct measure and we highly recommend that everybody follows this pathway and we call it a two-by-two two matrix where you look at the risk and you look at the wellness and combine both uh, in our matrix, it pushes you towards world-class standards of uh, ISO and um, uh, WHO. Just, just right. these two things that you need to look at. Of course, you can add more, but these will be the two major ones which organizations still actually don't understand uh, at this point in time and we are figuring out how to uh, as they say play with the data rather than actually use the data to explain to us what's going on
0: okay um Heto, it's already time for us to take a quick break for some messages but when we come back we'll race through uh, the other six reasons why mental health strategies in the workplace aren't working at the moment all that and more coming up on resource Centre. stay tuned bfm 89.9 Business, Finance and Music, BFM 89.9 You are listening to Resource Center. This is Audrey Raj, Organizational Psychologist and CEO of Osaikeetal Doshi is online with me today and we are discussing the 9 Reasons Why Mental Health Strategies in the Workplace don't work Now, Hito. we are now on reason number four. What is uh, reason number
1: four? Reason number four is um, there are a lot of activities and initiatives in organizations. Uh, organizations don't have any lack of it. Um, so what do I mean by that? There are, Most organizations have already launched like bi-weekly or weekly wellness webinars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which like the yoga the... classes you were talking about earlier. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah, uh, yeah. But but these are what we call activities and initiatives, right? But they mm-hmm. are not necessarily insightful interventions. So what does that mean, right? We are launching activities, but what pain does it actually solve,
0: mm-hmm. uh, if
1: at all? So the idea is to remove as much pain as possible so that employees can have the freedom to basically work, right? Um, so, uh, so 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 what, what we have done at Opsych and what we have realized is that... Uh, a, organizations, after they do the survey, right, from their survey, they don't know what to do. So that's the big question. I got all this data. I understand that people are going through this. Now what do we do with it? Uh, And that's where the the, the misalignment between initiatives versus actually insightful interventions. So what we have done is that we've actually taken through teams. Like, for example, we've had a project where we had 10 teams and they went through uh, from the data that they saw about what they were experiencing. They were like, okay, what interventions do we come up with? What we realized was that it's very important that the organization doesn't butt into interventions. Organization's job is not to come up with interventions. Organization's job is to get everybody to talk about interventions that they want. So mm-hmm. we came up with these teams. When they look at the data, they said the smartest thing to do is for us to come up with our own interventions because a lot of us say one team, one dream. You know, the whole organization is one big dream, but it's not. It's many teams made up with many dreams. So each team actually came up with their own team interventions. This is what we want in a particular budget. This is what we think will fix our drama. Leave us alone, we will sort out our own drama. And within the team, the individuals say, actually, I have been creating some drama as well. I, on an individual level, will also sort out my drama. And then they made a request like leader, leader, This is one thing you can do within your control to make our life better. So we had leadership, team and individual interventions designed by the team itself. And what was very interesting for me, um, Audrey, the most interesting part wasn't necessarily about the interventions because eventually everybody came up with interventions that worked. After a month when we measured, everybody was doing very well. Nine out of 10 teams did significantly better as a team just by talking about it. What was interesting for me wasn't necessarily the intervention bit, but the fact that When I looked at it a bit deeper, I experienced something called the no care and do model, meaning some people actually know what the drama is, but they don't care enough to then do something about it. So leaders may actually know that there's some drama going on, like high workload or work-life conflict or whatever, but they may not care enough to figure out what is the right thing to do about it. Whereas there were some who knew and they cared, but they didn't know. Uh, The the teams that did the best were obviously where every single person felt, okay, we know, we care, and we're going to do something about it. And truly, it's not about interventions, but the fact of the matter is, do you know enough, do you care enough, and do you actually do something enough as a team? Mm -hmm. Not as a leader or as an individual, but as a team, you're actually talking about it, just like a family, sitting down and actually sorting out our issues together as well. And this is not necessarily about mental health per se, but it's about psychosocial health, meaning me and my the people in my environment in, in our in our environment working out a better life experience for all of us so it's not just me it's something that we all have to do together and for me that was the biggest part it wasn't the intervention it was the fact that we know enough we care enough and we do something about it as a team so i was quite blown away by that i wouldn't call it interventions anymore i would just call it do you know do you care and what do we do yeah
0: yeah, I mean, but I think a lot of people are going through their own challenges over the, especially over the last two years, and that level of apathy is just continuing to rise. And you know, if there's one place where you can try and like not absorb um, any drama, unnecessary drama, would would be in the workplace, you know, because you'd want to reserve that mental space for yourself and what you know your family needs and things like that. So you know, yeah, I can I can understand why th- that could be uh, prevailing in the workplace.
1: Hundred percent, and you know the beautiful thing about what you said uh, over there was that the workplace can be that space, right—a yes. um, a refuge of sorts. Because a, because what we found in our assessment was that meaning of work was the highest, best experience that people had. People actually mm. love their jobs. I'm I'm shocked at how much people actually love their jobs. So it's not the jobs. You know, we talk about meaning of work. It's not that's not the problem. The problem is that sometimes with people we yeah. get in the way of ourselves, right? Um, and the second thing that you said was that it can be a refuge, which is a beautiful thing to say. And that's why a lot of um, like the World Health Organization or ISO, all of these global standards are moving towards saying the workplace is one of the best places to create a better community for the nations that we live in. Um, so yes, the workplace, we have that responsibility, but also that huge opportunity as well. Uh, it's it's a, it's a fantastic phenomena uh, with lots of opportunities, not only from a mental health perspective, but you can create a better organization with a lot more money that you generate just by creating the right environment. So yeah, thanks yeah. for that insight as mm-hmm. well.
0: Okay, so we're moving on now to uh, number five. Reason number five.
1: Yeah, um, reason number five very simple. Instead of committee led, create a community. So the burden of uh, a great experience cannot just be within the you know within a certain level or certain person. The burden or actually the opportunity of creating a great experience should be something called psychosocial, which is every single person, me and the people around me as a community. Because the truth is, Audrey, if you were going through something in your workplace, for example, sorry if I'm crossing any boundaries, I don't think you're going to go to your CEO. I don't think you're going to go to HR. You're probably going to tell your best friend. So Mm. it is about how best friends and how friends in the organization actually take care, support each other and look after the environment, make it a bit better. So it's a community-driven approach, a very simple one. Uh, but very profound, no more community, committee led, but more community driven and empowered uh, of sorts as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, reason number six is about bulldozing.
1: Yeah. I, I think, you know, um, so l- let me give you an example. Yeah. Um, just recently, we had a particular experience where uh, psychosocial risk was very high in a particular team, meaning that they were going through a lot of stress. And um, they came to me and they said, okay, let's design a lot of interventions. So instead of actually designing the interventions, we want to, and bulldozing, right? Okay, let's come up with solution, like a Panadol effect. Let's sort this out. Let's fix this problem. We have three months. She's taking time out to understand what the elephant was. And we realized the elephant was just one person, which was the leader. And the leader himself or herself was actually going through enough of stress, unknowingly creating and compounding that stress onto other people. So instead of like bulldozing and getting everybody to resolve the issue... Maybe it was just that one elephant that needed to be addressed, lah. And you know, by addressing one elephant, and I'm not saying a person is an elephant, but you know, an experience, uh, the root cause of that experience with the elephant, you can save a lot of time, you can save a lot of money, and you don't have to bring everybody together. Just taking care of that one thing, um, and maybe everything else gets a little bit better. But that is the hard thing. So what we say is not the not not just trying to do things, but actually doing the right thing uh would be quite difficult and i i see that as the most difficult of things to be able to handle in a workplace because people will come in with investments they will talk about strategy they'll talk about everything but the right thing to do (laughs) which is to address the elephant
0: are organizations having trouble identifying these these
1: elephants they are because because we are not using the right kind of assessment tool so if you address it the right way you could immediately figure out where the elephant is so yeah if you're looking at if you're using wrong wrong measurement you will never be able to get the root cause
0: okay let's move on to reason number seven
1: yeah I'm gonna combine seven and eight together which is about systems and learning so you know, Uh, just like our body is basically a system that works in hopefully harmony. And if it's not, then it creates sickness. The same thing with uh, mental health as a strategy. It should be a system where everything is working in accordance with each other and harmony. And there's some kind of learning that comes out of it. So we call this the strength of the system or the weakness of the system. And the whole idea is how do you audit and learn from the the weakening of the system and the strengthening. So I'll give you an example over here. Uh, Recently, you know, a particular town hall, what we heard from a leader was that, uh, guys, mental well-being is a very important priority in 2022. And in the same breath of the sentence, we have a lot of competition, guys, you know. We have to make sure that we, uh, you know, meet higher standards than we had last year. We have to collaborate more. Um, so the idea and the intention of well-being combined together with enormous amount of fear and anxiety about competition in one breath, right? So uh, are we strengthening the system or are we weakening the system? So just by what we call signaling, right? So as you signal in your communication, you signal in your rewards, your recognition, the signaling, is it going haywire or is it actually hitting, uh, you know, like laser pointer towards the uh, circle, of, you know, the, the bulldoze, that circle in the middle of it? The target, yeah. Yeah, and, and what we realize is that it's not actually as simple as a bulldoze or not a bulldoze. What we're realizing is that the signals are all out of whack. The signals are in, 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 in organizations are never really targeted and all aligned to one space. It's constantly kind of uh, you know hitting itself and dissipating and going in different angles. And so what we do is something called auditing and learning. And what does it do? Because human beings, you know we are big masters of contradiction as well. We tend to contradict <laughs> ourselves a lot. And I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. I could start with myself. yeah We, we, we have a lot of great intent, but when we when it comes to execution, especially, When it's time of crisis, we tend to go against what we truly believe in as well. So that, I think, would be two things that I would definitely combine systems and learning from the system itself.
0: Okay, and we're now down to our final reason, Heathrow. And and, um, for some reason, I think this
1: comes down to money. (laughs) I mean, yes, of course. It comes down to money. It comes down to time, energy, and money, right? Sometimes... Sometimes, as I've seen, Audrey, like time has become an even bigger cost to an organization by doing something wrong than the money itself. Anyway, we call this investment of time, money and energy. So how do we invest wisely is a very important question over here. What I'm seeing organizations do is they separate their investments from like, you know, HR, learning, uh, employee well-being and the separate one for uh, well-being. You don't have to separate it. Actually, you don't come up with new investments Really, really just understand that mental health has always been... All organizations have always cared about it in some way or the other. You just want to make sure that you're a bit conscious about what you're doing and reprioritize your investments and kind of integrate it. So my recommendation to to all organizations would be not to create new investments, but actually reprioritize your investments and make sure that it's integrated because you already have something that is going for you. Because Mm -hmm. all organizations care about making money, Uh, growing, but also they've always cared about their people. So don't come up with something new. Just strengthen what you have. Maybe if you have to eradicate it or rejig it, that's fine. But just understand that it's always been there already. Um, So yeah, my recommendation would be don't come up with more, you know, time costs, money costs, all of that. Uh, Figure out how you can do this with uh, inexpensive tools. Uh, It doesn't have to be expensive um, at all. And with that, there there are these nine things that we've been experiencing in organizations. Um, But overall, I think, you know, Everyone, every client, every person, company that I've spoken to, I think everybody's doing their best and we're all figuring it out the way that we're going. There's no such thing as right or wrong, obviously. Uh, there's just progress uh, over uh, perfection. And I couldn't be more proud of how Malaysia, actually, or at least corporate Malaysia, is taking this so seriously. And mm. three years into it, it still is number one priority for all organizations that I know of, at least.
0: Right. You know, I, I mean, like we're all learning as. You know, this is this un- we're living in unprecedented times, right? And the needs are also unprecedented to a certain extent. And so, um, Hidal, just before I let you go, I-, I think when we were discussing these nine reasons, um, I noticed that uh, the biggest challenge, I think, for most of these strategies is uh, a lack of expertise or a lack of the right tools to assess what is really the issue um, with their employees. So it's, it's, it's mostly just... Not having the right people or the right way to facilitate the issue, or you know, just not un- completely understanding what your employees are going through. Did I did I get that right? Am I understanding perfectly? Uh, right?
1: You couldn't have said that any better. It would it's a better summary than mine for sure. Uh, having the right expertise, having the right tools, and having the right facilitators, um, you know, and that could be internal or external. It doesn't matter. But really, the right person to get this job done in the right way and to see it through would be, um, yeah, would be, would be something that I feel is, is definitely lacking.
0: Yeah. All right. Okay. And Hito, for our listeners uh, tuning in right now who would like to learn more about uh, what you do for Corporate Malaysia and the organizations that you work with, maybe you can give them the website they can go to so that they can get in touch with you with them.
1: Sure. Um, we can be found at www.o-psych.com or you can just uh, ping me as most of you have been doing via LinkedIn, just saying hello and um, yeah, just put in your request. We're very happy to have an initial chat. And thank you so much, Audrey, for the opportunity um, to talk about something that is... Uh, number one priority for most organisations right now.
0: And thank you for taking the time to speak with us once again, Hetel. Catch you again same time next month. I've been speaking with Hetel Doshi, Organisational Psychologist and CEO of Opsych. More Psychology at Work coming to you same time next month. That's the first Tuesday of every month right here on Resource Centre. Until then, this is Audrey Raj for BFM 89.9 The Business
1: Station.